Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My guest on this episode is one who's got a great privilege in that he can uh, have a go at uh, somebody like Virat Kohli, Rohit Sharma, even Sachin Tendulkar, but he'll not get trolled. Such is the esteem he enjoys amongst his followers. I'm sure most of them will testify in a court of law that John Farnham wrote the song, You're the Voice, in his honor. Talking about the voice, my guest tonight is one who's known as the voice of cricket. It's my pleasure to present you, Arsha Bogle. Welcome, Arsha. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sir Wurkeri. As your, as I don't know if it's known, but it's what you're referred to all around the cricket world, Sir Wurkeri, Sir Raman, whatever. But the Sir always comes first. Okay, you never let go of an opportunity, do you? <laughs> listen, you talked about Sachin and all. It was okay, but modern generation, you can't have a go at anybody. No, you enjoy that privilege. They account to every word of yours. You don't indulge much in criticism anyway, but whenever you do it, you don't get trolled like many other former cricketers get do. Because they because they carry the baggage of stats. I am free from the baggage of, of international records, you see. So sometimes it's a disadvantage and sometimes, uh, sometimes it's an advantage. Okay, now let's get back to your start. Uh, like uh, whenever we grew up, the times at which we grew up, we did two things. We breathed and we played cricket. When did the larva of cricket get into your system? Okay, since you mentioned that, I've always wanted to ask you this. There was a camp, would have been early 82. Early 82, I mean, I know it's rude to ask you on your own program. How old were you in early 82? I was 17 then. I seem to remember, I don't know why, you and LS were at a camp at the Lal Bahadur Stadium. Would you have been around then at a camp at Lal Bahadur Stadium? No, we because played. Because someone told me, boys, very good players there. We were, uh, we had come there for our inter-college final. And I think before that, your camp was on over there. I don't know. I just have this vague recollection. So, no, I want we to were sure. playing the Kuch Bihar uh, finals against Karnataka then. Ah, okay. So, people had told two very good young players there. So, I, I remember that. Yeah, see, I, I used to play. Uh, I mean, I, I one of my biggest strengths was I knew just how good a player I was. I mean, I had to study in those days. Uh, cricket was not a career. It would never have been because I wasn't good enough. But I played lower division. I played senior division. I played college. I played university. But I was also doing engineering at that time. By the way, pro good, proper test players from Tamil Nadu all do engineering, as you know very well. All from, from the time of Mr. Venkatraghavan. So... We had to do all that. So, luckily for me, what happened uh, was that I played enough cricket to fall in love with the game, to understand defeat and failure, to understand saying, Shay, I just touched the ball. How did it go for four? It was not supposed to. Oh, wow. And saying, I can't score a run for the next three days and my leg breaks up. My googly is being spotted three days before I bowl it. So, but I went through all those emotions. But uh, then... I mean, one day father said, why don't you try doing this? Hyderabad was a great place to grow up in. They gave a 19-year-old kid an audition. Who gives a 19-year-old kid an audition today? They gave me an audition. They gave me once one game to do only a few stints. It was Hyderabad versus Kerala. And the game was starting only after lunch. Uh, the commentary was starting only after lunch. So you got a break. The Hyderabad was a great place to grow up in. Uh, All India Radio was a very encouraging place at uh, at that time. So we got a, I got a break. The funny thing is, I... And I never thought of it like that. I think I was doing commentary on a couple of Ranji Trophy games while I was still playing senior division cricket in Hyderabad. So I wonder how that went now that you uh, ask me this. Watching the Hyderabad team of those days, the flair and flamboyance, watching them take the field was a sight, wasn't it? Let alone watch them play. Yeah, and actually the generation slightly before us, even more so. Which is Jaisima, Abbas Ali Beg. By the time we started watching that, but that generation was just on its uh, on its way out. But I'll tell you one thing: when we played against MCC, as it was called, the Maratpalli Cricket Club, it was ML Jaisima still playing. Long after he had retired, he would still turn up and play every Sunday morning, immaculately dressed. If you're playing against ML Jaisima's team, you also had to be well dressed because you know it was that the class and sometimes. Uh, people from outside would come and play, but it was always five seniors and six kids playing for MCC. But what I remember was, I mean, that generation must have been something else. Okay? Because at lunch, he would open the boot of his ambassador and there was food and drink for everybody, including the opposition. And it, it must have been a great generation. But I think that style remained, even if you see the 
later players, the Azaruddin's, the Lakshmans. We are not even talking about people like Sultan Salim, Mumtaz Hussain, Abdul Hayat of an earlier generation, Abdul Azim, and all the others afterwards. They're very watchable batsmen. But having watched cricket from that era and to watch what is happening of late must be quite sad for you because Hyderabad cricket is going only in one direction, isn't it, of late? It, it, I mean, if you look over the years, at any given point, there was at least one player from Hyderabad in the national side, even after the glory days. I mean, I remember I was 10 years old. India went to West Indies in 1971. India went to England in 1971. There were five players from Hyderabad in that side. There was Krishnamurti, there was Govindraj, uh, Abid Ali, uh, ML Jaisima, Abbas Ali Beg. There were players like these. There were five players from Hyderabad in the national squad. But even after that, you know, you had Azaruddin, you had VVS Lakshman, you had Venkatpati Raju. You always had somebody from Hyderabad in the national squad. No, I don't know how many people make the South Zone squad. So it's it's very sad. This, the uh, senior division cricket was so well organized. We had A1, A2, B1, B2, you had leagues up to G. You had the you had the zonals, you had the junior state. I don't know, did you, did you play the junior state for Tamil Nadu under 25, the Ramchandra Rao Trophy? Was an was an excellent tournament. You got a chance to show that you could play uh, uh, Ranji Trophy cricket or no. So it was very well organized. Even though it might have been matting wickets largely in Hyderabad, but it was very well organized. So I feel yeah, I feel uh, I, I feel very sad. Uh, you were talking about uh, commentating even as you were playing. Did you do Carlisle best? You remember Carlisle best? No, yeah, <laughs> no, I didn't because I didn't want that enough. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I didn't bat long enough to be able to do that. Uh, no, but. Uh, it, it was funny that I actually took a tape recorder to one of my own games to do my audition. So while the openers are batting, uh, you're probably a little younger, but I, you would still have seen those big tape recorders. The cassettes had just come that time. So I took a big cassette player in my kit bag and I went and I recorded commentary. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I, I didn't do a Carlisle best. <laughs> I still, but it was very funny. Did, uh, you, you wouldn't have played. He was, he was around that time. Yeah, yeah much, later, much later, much later. But it was yeah. interesting for me to read about it. You know, somebody yeah. you know commentating as he was batting. That must have been something. <laughs> so you've been a batsman. You played fast bowling. Do you have time to think about what you are going to say after your shot? No, no, I didn't even mention to trying that. Actually, never mind. <laughs> Let alone doing it. Yeah, yeah. Chemical engineering and a management yeah. degree under your belt. But cricket yes. was your calling. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Look, we are blessed to uh, to be in cricket. Cricket embraces some people. It's uh, it's it's the greatest thing in the world. Cricket embraces people. So uh, while I was doing engineering, I would still I was still playing senior division. I'd still go for the evening nets and do after the practicals. Go for evening nets. Come back. My only my biggest regret is that we didn't have people uh, at our nets to tell us what we were doing wrong. So we continued doing the same thing, enjoyed the game, and then went out of the playing side of the game. So I remember once asking Ashad, are you at the Nets? He was our captain for three years in senior division. I said, Ashad, why turn or a ball? Kya karna uta turn or a... And he said, I saw fast, time deo, turn hone ko. So little things like that also we did not know. We learned as with, with, by making mistakes as we went along. But getting into IM was a lottery. Uh, okay, it was, I mean, the number of people who write the test. Maybe I just had an interesting CV. I've often wondered why I got in. Because once I got in, I was in awe. I mean, I didn't think I belonged over there. The quality of the intellect of the people there, they're so sharp. By the time I'm reading a question, they're, they're coming out with answers. And I said, where have I lost myself? How have I found myself here? So maybe it was because I had an interesting CV. Because I had I'd studied French at graduate level. I'd done an advanced diploma in French. I played cricket for my university in Rowenton Barrier. I had done a little bit of uh, commentary. I'd done decently. It was a very soft engineering course, very, very soft engineering course, but I'd done reasonably well in my engineering course. So maybe I was in, it was uh, an interesting CV, but Ahmedabad was a life changing, game changing experience for me. I've, uh, I walk through the gates today when I go back and I bow and I walk through it. Just was the making of you. Radio commentary was only possible avenue those days. Yeah. Very few yeah. slots to get into. How difficult was it to cross the threshold barrier? Uh, radio, see, luckily I got a break when I was very young. And you know, as, as you also know, when you start very young, people say, So if you made a mistake, it was okay. But there were some experiences that I've talked about that I'll tell you again, which, which were very important for me. The first thing I realized was there were a lot of senior commentators there. I was the kid. 
and i had only heard commentary i had never been at a game where a commentary was being broadcast so when there's radio and no television you're entirely at the mercy of the commentator in a sense because he's your eyes and ears everything so if he says the ball was short of a length outside off it is gospel it is short of a length outside off now there i am watch listening to the commentators and watching the game and i realized in the good old radio commentary there was an element of fiction <laughs> <laughs> that was my first learning i mean i'm not i'm not degrading those commentators but there was an element of fiction between a drive and a cut it could be interchanged uh but what radio did was it, it taught me two things one is in uh, i was doing a game very early on hyderabad versus saurashtra and there was a temporary stand that was erected we had to climb up the bamboo stand and whatever and do commentary from the top but the audience below and in those days 5 10000 people used to come to watch a ranji trophy game so they were all listening to the commentary if you made a mistake they would look up and you've been in hyderabad long enough to know the language they would look up and tell you what they thought of you so you learned very quickly that making a mistake was not an option and actually if you do radio commentary you know for people like you radio commentary is a, is is excellent because it allows you to talk to tell a story but you cannot go wrong in radio commentary because you're not drawing conclusions you're only describing the action so if you describe the action honestly you cannot go wrong that is what i learned in radio if i have to say is this should this man have gone on the front foot or should he be on the back foot waiting given the bounce of the ball i could be right or wrong but if i say he went on the front foot i cannot be wrong right if i say uh, cover is a little straighter if i say point is a little backward i cannot go wrong because i'm telling the truth as i see it so i learned these little disciplines on radio it's a beautiful way to uh, beautiful way to start and because i was young i made a lot of whatever mistakes we made but okay and i, I realized afterwards the people with me were actually making more money definitely wouldn't have been the motivating factor for you to continue and you know Not carry exactly. on with commentating then no no because uh my we used to get 100 i think for a long time it was 100 rupees 100 rupees a day daily even when i started doing some international games it was 100 150 rupees a day daily allowance was 75 rupees a day so if you are in if you are uh, if you get a game in a city where you knew cousins those cousins suddenly became your long lost family because you had to stay with them or if you had a friend if you had a friend you had to go and stay with a friend because you couldn't stay anywhere in that in that kind of money so it was strictly amateur but uh, yeah it was it was good fun it could not have been a career in fact even doordarshan after i started doing a few games on doordarshan could not be a career till twi came to india in 1993 the hero cup i'll come to that i'll come to that yeah. australia has a special place in your heart especially so. you got your first assignment in that particular series uh first big assignment yeah i had i had done a little bit before i'd done two or three test matches but in those days you did one test match every 2 3 years because uh, everyone got a break right everyone there were long big panels but i had done uh, luckily for some reason i had got i done a ranji final which was the one that bengal won against delhi or the quotient rule and all remember yeah i done i done a dulip trophy game straight after the pakistan tour when azu became azuruddin became captain so for some reason my father who uh, who took more interest in my uh, performances than me he had, he had kept uh, clippings every time you made 20 in deccan chronicle your name came in the paper so he had kept those cuttings and he had kept a recording of my commentary which i could send to australia it was an eye opener in australia the first thing i learned is what a great team sport broadcast is where people are helping each other for example i was talking about some game and jim maxwell quickly opened his in those days you didn't have a database right so wisden had every scorecard of every game that was uh, ever played he promptly opened that and put it in front of me so i could refer to it while doing commentary and i said wow this looks good and i discovered in australia as well that if your style is to give as you get you know they would they would also come hard at you they think ah you indians are soft uh, and you you don't want to do this and then you give it back to them you and respect So I enjoyed my time in Australia because you could have free banter without people judging you as a person. I found that to some extent in England, where there was still people, you know, I mean, lords and all were terrible, terrible, terrible experiences. But you always got the feeling that there's a bit of that when you went to England early on in my career. But Australia was never that. I mean, I never experienced anything. They accepted you. It was was great. And, and even today i find that australia is far more open to an alternate point of view they might make fun of your point of view and come hard at you
but you're allowed your alternate point of view and you can come hard at them. And the other day I'm, I'm on Fox and I said, I've never seen Australia's batting so insipid. And that's cool. So that is what I enjoy about, uh, about Australia. The advent of satellite television completely yes. changed the dynamics, didn't it? It did. It did because it allowed you to have a profession. Uh, Z was the first channel that came in. Then the foreign network started to come in. And then ESPN came in in 94, 95. So before that, TWI had come in. And TWI came in with a UK background. So if they picked you as a commentator. The first thing that happened was you got the entire series to do. Not only one test match or one one-day international per series. So you could uh, draw the connect between what you were doing. And uh, there was a certain... Uh, uh, the telecast was organized well. I remember and I, I got... When they called me for the Hero Cup, they paid me $100 a day. Okay? And one of my friends told me, you should never work for that kind of money. I said, are you nuts? I said, don't tell them that I would pay them $100 to be, get the opportunity to do that. But I said, they're putting me up in Taj Bengal, man. I said, this must be a great gig because they're putting me up in Taj Bengal. I said, can you imagine they're giving me daily allowance, Taj Bengal? This seems like a good career. But what that did was, it allowed us to work with very good producers and directors who would then tell you, listen, just be careful of this, just be careful of that. For example, I had a bad habit then, which I still do, which is I speak too fast sometimes. The more confidence you get, the more measured is your uh, broadcast. It's like a batsman who's afraid of the uh, ball. He wants to play too many shots. So I would also uh, speak too fast. They would they pointed that out to me. Then the, whenever I'm on air, he would, the producer would just say, breathe to me. So I learned a lot being with these people, which a lot of commentators who came up through the Doordarshan era did not, uh, were not able to learn. So luckily for me, satellite television came at the right time in my, uh, in my career. Commentating on radio and television are two different things. Which yes. do you find most difficult? Oh, television. Eh? Radio is very, very simple. You you think as I said, you oh, radio is much easier. See, it's like... Uh, always talking more is easier than talking less. Because talking less means you have to be relevant at all times, like driving with your foot on the brake. Especially in India, where you constantly have a lot of commercial involvement and you have to go to a break as soon as the last ball is bowled. So you have you have to learn to say in 10 words, 15 words. In radio, you have 25, 30 words. You can have a, a conversation. Suppose I'm chatting with you. And I want to talk to you about one of your best batting performances I saw, which was in the final of the 96 Ranji Trophy, uh, Tamil Nadu Karnataka game. You opened the batting against Srinath and Prasad. So suppose I'm I'm talking to you about that. I just have to refer to the ball. Suppose suppose for example, Bumrah is bowling, and I'll say Bumrah shot outside of batsman. Let's it go, and we can continue the story. There's so much room for storytelling in radio, which you don't have in television. So radio is much easier. But the flip side is that even a silence of five seconds is a long duration there, isn't it? It is, it is. Whereas in television, the good old days when, when Benno was the torchbearer of television, they almost demanded silence because the game has a soundtrack of its own. You know, when you're taking guard and you scratch with your spikes, there's a soundtrack of that. When the ball hits the bat, there's a sound, there's a sound that it makes. The bowler grunts at delivery. So the game has its own sounds, which in the past used to be encouraged. That the commentator doesn't speak, he lets the sounds of the game go on. The ball thuds into the keeper's glove, it makes a different sound. So now we have become a soundtrack. Largely, I think that's what audience tastes require. So we are told we've become a soundtrack on, on radio. Yeah, five, five seconds of silence is an eternity. Have you at times felt the radio commentator in you coming to the fore while doing on television? Are you are you gently saying I talk too much on television? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. Because I've, I've, yeah. I've not done radio. I've done television commentary. So I'm just more curious about that aspect. Uh, when you're doing both on the same day, yes. Because if you're switching from one radio box to the other, I mean, I remember I went from a television booth to uh, the ABC radio commentary booth when I was in Australia. And I just started pausing and I said, oh, no, hang on. You've got to describe what happened on the ball. You don't have to just pause because the ball went to cover and there was a fielder. So you have to keep adapting all the time. So if you're doing both on the same day, it's like playing on a turning track at one end and a bouncy track at the other end. Every over you're trying to, uh, you're trying to adapt. For someone like me, 
who came from radio yes it took time to adapt and even uh, for a long time because i felt i needed to prove myself every time i didn't have a batting or a bowling average to add weight to what i was saying i felt i needed to do a little bit more but i hope in course of time that's that's come down a little bit but yeah that is your dna that's in my dna mark nicholas had written in his book that he felt his throat go dry he, his knees buckle when he found himself the mist to form a captain's initially did you ever have that kind of a feeling no no for some reason no never in that i was always very acutely aware of where i stood i knew what my lakshman rekha was with mark it's a little different because mark was a regular first class cricketer captain the county side uh, he had played alongside a greenwich a richards a marshall a roberts you know so he was a first class cricketer of decent standing he wasn't the greatest in the world but a first class cricketer of decent standing so whereas i was not in that in that category even alan wilkins has played 7 8 10 years of first class cricket so i knew my lakshman rekha very well so i was never hassle i mean there was a bit of the bit of awe initially but you realized very quickly that you have a role to play they have a role to play i'm not challenging them or i'm not coming in their way so because i knew what i could not do and i was very acutely aware of not transgressing into territories that i did not have any uh, any credibility so you'd find even today i never talk about whether the left elbow is high enough or no whether the back lift is coming down from point or from first slip or from second slip i don't talk about that because the moment i do that i lose my credibility so no to cut a long story short i i i did not feel that way uh with a couple of commentators because of their stature but also because of the way you feel about them there was a little bit with michael holding there was but he was so nice to me that he didn't let that affect for too long he was is just a lovely person so that went that went away very quickly with boycott you were always a little careful because if you made a mistake he didn't let it pass he pounced on it but that was good in the sense that therefore you had to be extra uh, careful when you were when you were with them so that didn't happen the only time i've been completely awestruck and not knowing how i'm going to do was actually an interview that i did not on a live broadcast i used to do a program called harsha online and this is after so many years of experience tiger patowdi was in the studio Oh, you know, sorry, sorry. Some people carry that aura around them, right? Viv Richards carries an aura of a certain kind. Tiger, without saying much, there was that aura around him, and he was so down to earth when I spoke to him. But he gave very short answers, so I was gaping a little bit, and the answer would finish. Oh, sorry, I've got to ask another question as well because he was very economical with his words. So that was the only time I said I was a little bit in awe of uh, of Tiger. He, he was, was a great man. he was economical but he conveyed a lot with few words okay <laughs> yeah. he did he was interacted with him yeah uh, over decades you have seen a lot of characters in the game do you think that breed is slowly becoming extinct uh the first challenge to that breed finally came with a helmet because without the helmet you could see the person no so uh, for example occasionally dhoni bats without the helmet there is so much more to him when he bats without the helmet or when kohli pulls on a cap there's so much more to him uh i think this will reappear as social media becomes more and more pronounced all of today's players are cricketers and social media entities so you see yojwendra chahal for example is is a character because you see him on instagram so that is coming back but there was a generation uh of tough good boys in our cricket they were tough players but they were good boy players rahul dravid good boy vvs lakshman good boy anil kumble good boy jawagal srinath in his own way good boy i'm not saying only players from the south but these are players that i related to because i've always considered myself south, south, south indian so these were good boy they were not you didn't look at them and say what outrageous thing is he going to do next like say vinod kambli would do the code of conduct the code of conduct is okay up to a point but do you think that is kind of uh, preventing the characters displaying their wit wit and pranks it it could be it 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 could be i have not thought about it uh, that much certainly from the players point of view uh also we have too many breaks in india so you don't get to see that uh, that as much you you see that as i said in their instagram pages 
but who were the pranksters? Say, when, when you were playing, who, who were the pranksters when you were playing? Also, see, in those days, there was not that much television. So, you, they could be pranksters and get away with it. Today, if you carry out a prank or you, you do something funny on television, for the next three days, it is on every social media site in the world. And then people have a comment. So, maybe they're holding back a little. I don't know. Wit was brilliant with some some of them. I can recall an instance where Eldin Baptist was bowling to Gus Logie in a charity game. Gus yeah. Logie threw for a four and then next three bounces. So Gus Logie walks down the track. He says, Soaks, it's only a charity game, man. Give me something yeah. to drive. So Baptist says, I won't even give you my car to drive, man. So those <laughs> yeah. exchanges are not happening. Uh, are, are they happening? Increasingly, there is a temptation to keep the stump mics up as part of coming close to the game. You'd see the cameras also, earlier, when a shot was played, the cameras would pull back. Today, the cameras are so powerful that the cameras have come very close to the action. We can lip read very easily what people are saying and the stump mics are up. So, if you say something, for example, the other day, uh, Aaron Finch piss hit a shot. You know how it is. You want to punch out the back foot and it hits high on the bat or you've not timed it and you say something to yourself, right? Say you're batting, you want to say something to yourself, but Stump Mike picked that up. It was an expletive, it was a gali, but it was to himself for not having played the right shot. But that goes on the Stump Mike everywhere. So maybe people are becoming a little more careful. I mean, I, I won't mind. I mean, if I'm, I think we have to draw a line between disappointment and, uh, and verbal abuse. So suppose I'm saying something to myself, I've bowled, I've run in and I bowled a short ball and I'm actually angry with myself and I say something to myself, whatever, that goes on the stump pike. And so we've got a situation now where Kahiso Rabada actually got a demerit point that led to a ban because he said something in frustration, not aimed at the batsman. He was not telling the batsman, this is what I think of you, but it was something said in frustration, but was picked up by the mics. So yeah, to some extent that is happening. Prior to the ICC match referee coming into play, the umpires used to handle all these situations. Yes. It was interesting, you know, umpires had to look after not only the way things were going on the field, the loss of the game, they had to even control the players. It was interesting those days. Uh, I, I still think it should be like that. I remember Venkatraghavan told me a story about how the umpire's job was to control things. And he said with Australia, actually, he said he never had a problem with Australia. Because he would just tell Mark Taylor while passing at the end of an over, Mark, I think it's getting a little out of hand. And Mark would apparently Mark told him, he said, Skipper, my responsibility, umpire, my responsibility, don't worry. And he said, So that was the way we did it with the with the players. And that's why I think, as you will also realize, you were you know better, you were more comfortable with umpires who in their own jolly way told you, listen, stop it now. I think the, I think the umpires still have a role to play in that. But as we've seen with India, Australia. Everybody's friends, man. Now there are no rivals anymore. The IPL has come and it's like a file. It just smoothened up all the rough edges and now everybody's friends and Instagram followers. Talking of umpiring and umpires, do you think their roles are getting diluted with each passing year? Are you happy with it? I think uh, we are riding a tiger on that. My gut feel is we are riding a tiger on that. So, it will only go more and more. So, it's interesting that I was in favour of the umpire not looking down for the front foot no ball. Because I always thought that the umpire, he's standing about 8 feet, 6 feet, 7 feet back from the crease, 6 feet back at least from the crease. And there's another 4.5 feet to the front crease. So, he's looking for the no ball about 8 to 10 feet further away, which is always difficult. When a fast bowler is bowling, uh, it's even more difficult to judge because of the foot is going that quickly. And as one umpire told me, he said, people have open-chested actions. They're coming like this, open-chested action. He said, the right shoulder is coming in the way sometimes of me checking the no-ball. So, I was always in favour of umpire doesn't have to look down for the no-ball because then he also has to look up and he doesn't have enough time to go up to look for the LBW. But Simon Toffel told me, no, he said, it's been like that for 100 years. Why are you making laws for poor umpiring? So their perspective was different. I'm I'm quite happy with the with the line call looking at the no ball because the first thing I asked a player was, have you ever benefited in your stroke play from a no ball being called? So from the moment we went from back foot no ball to front foot no ball, you've been a player. Did you ever adjust your shot and get advantage because someone called a front foot no ball? 
So there's no advantage. You can call that no ball two seconds later, three seconds later, it doesn't matter. So I was in favor of that actually. But more and more, yes, the line calls will go away from the umpire with the referrals. Uh, the umpire doesn't have the sanctity anymore. So definitely this, uh, his, his role is reducing. The way things are going, umpires even feel they might probably not get replaced by technology in the future. Look, uh, what all are the umpire's roles now? If the umpire doesn't have to call a no ball, that that goal is that has gone away from him. If you say infinite referrals, then the game will come to a halt. But technology will tell you whether someone is L, uh, out LBW or no. So I hope I hope it doesn't happen because I think the umpire's job is also to control the passage of play. And there are some very strange rules that you and I never know, which only the umpire knows because that's his job to know. So I guess in those situations you will you will need an umpire. For example, I had no idea about uh, those that what happened in the World Cup final that if the throw has already has already started, then the overthrows don't count or something like that. You know, we don't know all these rules. There are these tiny footnotes that say lawyers know in the constitution and umpires know about the laws of the game. So, Which brings us to the question now: technology might even sort of obliterate the human element in sport. Will it rob the sheen of the sport? I don't I don't think so. I mean, in terms of a contest between bat and ball, no, never. Even though the batsman is far better informed about the bowler and the bowler is far better informed about the batsman than ever before by the stats and analysis that the analysts are throwing up. So he will say that 65% of the time you bowl on a length outside of, this is where he will bowl. But I think what uh, analytics is telling us is what is the best way to bowl to W.V. Raman? One, to keep him quiet. Two, to get him out. But the bowler still has to bowl that ball. No? There is still the human element of error in the ball that you're bowling, the human element of error in the shot making that is there. So and analytics is helping us understand the game a lot better, but it will never take over the... Uh, I, mean, I, I hope bowlers don't say, I will only do what the analyst is telling me. I was referring to that uh, in terms of the umpiring mistakes that can happen. Yeah. Technology sort of, you know, ensuring that, you know, umpiring mistakes are kind of overruled and perfection is achieved. See, what we are doing now in, in the India-Australia series, because there are home country umpires, there's no third country umpires here, we've gone to three DRSs. So, DRS, which was supposed to eliminate the howler, is now being used as a tactical tool. I mean, I'm a number six batsman. And I still have three ref referrals left. I know I'm out. But look, after me, just 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Why waste the referral? chance like So, DRS is slowly becoming like that, which is uh, which is a bit of a worry. But three referrals, I'm, no, I think it's too many. If you have more than three, the game will keep stopping all the time. Arshaki coach happened a few years back. What uh, was the criteria? What was the criteria the next Asha was supposed to meet? I'll tell you something very interesting. When, when it, This was a program that came from ESPN USA. It was called the Dream Job. But the producer was an Aussie said, if I do the Dream Job in India, people won't know what it is. So how do they know what we are looking for? So that's why they put the name. I couldn't sleep at night one night. I'll be honest. I couldn't sleep at night. They're naming a show after me. Man. Wow, I must have done something correct in life. But... It was very difficult, Rob. It was very, very difficult because they were training people to be anchors, not commentators. They were training people to be anchors, but they also had to pass a commentary test. So in 2004 in Dhaka and Chittagong, they actually did commentary on an international game. They had five, five, ten, ten minute stints to do commentary on that. Uh, they were looking for uh, a, a presence before the camera. They were looking for a calmness and an ability to stick to the script and be able to handle difficult, different situations. The ability to conduct interviews. I remember Murli Karthik was uh, one of the persons. Rajwinder Raghu uh, Rathod was uh, RS Rathod was uh, the union minister. The shooter was one of the people. So you had to ask them how to. Uh, they were tested on how to do interviews. So testing your presence of mind, testing your ability to edit and present a story, do voiceovers. That 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 was what it was. But it grew very difficult. The guys, I I promise you, the seven eight guys who came out were almost ready to uh, become. Uh, reporters at a cricket match. You're on the board of one of the IIM institutions. Uh, are you happy with the spreading out of the IIM entities? 
Look, if you've come from a school where uh, background where there were only three IMs and then they became four and then they became six, you value the brand very deeply. I mean, for us, uh, I mean, I'll be very honest with you, that is my test cap. I can never get another cap. My only playing cap was my university cap. So for me to say I have done something in life, that was my test cap. So obviously, you don't want the test cap to get diluted. The problem in education in India at the moment with the pay scales and the amount of research that is being done is the quality of the staff. So you can have, we have 20 IIMs now. I'm board of IIM Udaipur. Luckily, it's an outstanding director at IIM Udaipur. He's trying to do a lot of stuff. My wife is on the board of IIM Jammu, for example. So they're doing, they're doing something else. But the quality of the teaching staff has always got to keep pace with the brand name. And I think that is a struggle. That is a struggle sometimes. So I, I think if you want to have an elite institution, then it's fine. Like you have IITs and you have NITs, right? The whole RECs. Uh, you know, there was an REC in Warangal, REC in Trichy, all these places. There was an IIT, there was an REC. I don't mind that. RECs were not bad. They're called NITs now. They're not bad. They're good, they're good engineering colleges, but they're not IITs. It's like saying there's an Indian, there's a Dulip Trophy. If you're a Dulip Trophy player, you're a good player. You may not be an India player, but you're still a good player to play Dulip Trophy. I would have liked it to be like that. I would like it to have been capped at 7, 8, 10 IMs, maybe at most, and have another level of management colleges uh, just below that. What about the curriculum? Is it updated? Is it contemporary? Or is the same spin that's being carried on? No, it, it, it has to be. And uh, I mean, when I passed out of IIM Ahmedabad, we, in, in our second year, we had to select 13 courses. We had about 30, 35 courses to choose from. Now, I believe there's hundreds of courses. There's some lovely new courses that are coming out. The IIMs are becoming mindful of the fact that people will handle a lot of stress when they get into corporate jobs. So people are now trying to find courses on, on wellness, on happiness, on handling stress. Uh, I, I believe that there should also be courses on physical well-being, if not courses on awareness of physical well-being as well. So we are getting different kinds of courses. There is no doubt there's a big emphasis on entrepreneurship these days. When we were getting out of management school, entrepreneurship means it was, I mean, they said, are you mad? You won't get a salary. You know, for all of us who came from a very middle class household, the salary was sacrosanct. You know, I don't like the Ganpati idol. The salary your parents brought home was like, uh, defined everything in life. So becoming an entrepreneur was not, was frowned upon. Today, they're actually encouraging people. At IIM Amtabad, there's a seed fund. to uh, For the best projects, they start, the industry is funding them. So there is a definite uh, definite shift away. I think we need more of that in engineering colleges. But uh, yeah, in, in management schools, I think to some extent it is uh, it is starting to happen. But I'm, I think it's a very interesting topic for two people largely in the world of cricket to be talking about. Not bad. Well done. If I, you also were... you, by the way. I have a few questions for you, by the way. So tell me when you're ready. Okay. If you were to create a batsman, Picking the yeah. top quality of the top five batsmen you've seen so far in your broadcasting career, what will that batsman be? What will that creation be? I have a weakness towards people who take on the, who have, who can play shots. As I said, I referred to one innings of yours. I think you must have hit ten boundaries in your fifty. I think that day, and Srinath and Prasad were at their peak. And so that is why I remember that innings because you took on the bowling. So you look on Azuruddin, you look on Lakshman, you look at Tendulkar before the injury started to affect him. You know, as the injury started to affect him, he became a slightly different kind of player. You have enormous admiration for Rahul Dravid, but he didn't make you sit on the edge of your seat. You admired him, but when Lakshman came to bat, you were on the edge of your seat. You need different kinds of players as well. But I, I find that the people who make the game look easy are the most difficult to categorize. Because you don't know if they're making the game look easy because the bowling is bad or they're making genuine good bowling look uh, ordinary or look not that good because of the quality of their batsmanship. So you tend to look at how one player is playing the same ball versus versus another. But yeah, I mean, when we were growing up, anybody who could play the on-drive was like, wow. Yeah. Because Hyderabad, everyone played those risky shots. If you could hit an on-drive, you would say, on-drive, kya mara bhai? Kya and in our time, if you could play the pull shot, because Indian batsmen traditionally did not play the pull shot that much. If you could play the pull shot, so players were respected because they stood up to fast bowling. I think that era has gone. Today, everyone virtually, virtually everyone stands up to fast bowling. Ten teams in IPL, would there be too many or would it be all right? I think it is inevitable. This year's IPL was very interesting in that 
it, it was played off season and you still got the full complement of 60 games in and viewership went through the roof so if you're playing 10 teams and every team has to play every other team i don't like the idea that we had in 2010-11 which i didn't like at all where you play five teams home and away and four teams only once because you're still trying to get to 60 that it's difficult for people to understand everyone team plays every other team it's easy to understand so uh, I've, I've, if you can continue getting the best international players and play an ipl over three months the viewership per game will drop but i have no doubt that the cross viewership will go up it's a it's a question more of philosophy than anything else do you see country versus country as the pinnacle of sport or do you see franchise versus franchise as the most attractive form of sport? Football has answered that question. You get a football World Cup, you get once in four years. You get a European Cup once in two years. But Messi is Barcelona. He's occasionally Argentina, right? But Messi is Barcelona. Cristiano Ronaldo, well, he was Real, he was Man United, he was then Portugal. Are we willing to accept today that Virat Kohli is RCB first? In cricket, that will take some time. So I think uh, I, I'm okay with 10 teams as long as we can generate that amount of ability. I'd still like it to be four Indian players because it's finally an Indian league and you have to uplift families and Indian players. So I'm, I'm okay with uh, with with uh, 10 teams, everyone playing everyone else. Finally, your word of advice for the aspiring Boglays out there. Uh, no, I mean, I, I hate to sound like... Uh, like a harbinger of doom but increasingly today people are looking at former players who can do the job so all i would advise them is first of all get comfortable in front of camera be minimum bilingual if not trilingual because see if you have if you're not an international player the bar is set higher for you than it is for somebody else and you've got to work twice as hard as anybody else and you've got to get a niche so can you do English and Hindi? Can you do English and Tamil? Can you do Tamil and Malayalam? Can you be working professionally bilingual? So see what has happened now. Tamil is going through the roof. The viewership is going up, which you would never have expected that you could have a virtually full-time Tamil commentator. And that is fantastic because people are now getting to hear the broadcast in the language they understand. So professionally bilingual, workably trilingual is something I've been saying for 10 years and be multimedia. You have to be able to write and face the camera. So a lot of journalists of the past were petrified of the camera. So I always tell young journalists, get friendly with the camera very quickly. The camera is not an enemy. The camera is only truthful. Like the mirror, it always tells the truth. So get used to what the camera is showing. Be comfortable before the camera and be versatile. You have to do 180 characters. You have to be able to do uh, 500 words. You have to be able to do an interview. You have to be able to do a blog because you don't have the option. If you score 10,000 runs, you're a, you're a Raul Dravid. You can sit in the commentary box and say, I think that shot was bad because there's a weight of performance saying it. I can, we cannot say that. So we have to be more versatile. We have to work harder. Start as a reporter. Start doing blogs. Start writing articles. At least you've got something to show to people. But increasingly today, your ability to get a break will not come from print or from audio, but from how good you are in front of the camera. And for heaven's sake, don't try to be a performer. Don't try and go, yeah, you know, man, dude. No, don't. There is still room for earnest, believable people on television. Trust takes a long time to build. Never play with trust. And then you'll, if you can get a break, great. Now I'm going to ask you questions. You are a polyglot yourself. How many languages do you speak? Uh, fewer now than when I was when I was in Hyderabad, because my father taught French and we had to study French and I did ISC in French and an advanced diploma. I could speak French fairly well. You you could drop me in the middle of France, I could get by. So I could speak obviously English, uh, Hindi, Marathi was not that good. It's got better since I came to Bombay. Hyderabadi Hindi, which is a different dialect completely, but I could speak very fluent Telugu. Today, my Telugu is very rusty. Hyderabad When I was in Hyderabad, it's a change, I would have a Telugu word for it. So that, that happens. I noticed you speak a couple of lines of Telugu as well. 
There's it, yes. My time is over. You might be feeling that it's like going to a stack party and finishing off with just one drink. That's all I have time for. And Asha Bokli, as you know, is a busy man. Now it's no, all no, up to you. Yeah, my I'm going to drink it. From my end, it's over. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember two, three things about you. You said something to me once in Sri Lanka that I remembered for a long time. I think you were on that tour to Sri Lanka in 93 and there weren't too many side games. So you were not able to break into the side on that particular tour. So you went, what, six weeks without a game? Six, seven weeks without a game? And we were, we met in Colombo in the lobby or somewhere. And you said to me, suppose your newspaper sends you to cover a series and says you will not send back a single word. How will you feel? You're sent on the tour, but you don't report even one word. And I thought, yeah, I mean, we always think that getting picked for India, going on tour is such a wow experience. It told me, no, there's a, there are other frustrations. There are other things that come with it as well. But my question to you was, when did you stop being a bowler and become a batsman? Because I always thought of you as a left-arm spinner who batted. Next thing I know, I'm covering a test match in Chennai and you're batting at number three. Yeah, it all happened overnight. Um... The thing was that um, playing in the English leagues did not help me, you know, develop as a bowler. Then what happened was I realized why it happened now, but it's too late. Um, I developed um, a, a kind of a technical flaw in my action, which meant that I was constantly getting back problems when I continued bowling. There was nobody to sort of rectify it or, you know, pick the change that happened in my bowling action. I got bad and as it happened in Rajkot, um, Jimmy Amanath, I think, uh, was indisposed at the last minute. So, Ravi was suddenly looking for somebody to bat at three. He came up to me and asked me, would you do it? I said, without blinking, uh, I said, yes, I would do that. Because it was better to get a game rather than be fussy about what you want to be, where you want to be. So, were you happy ending up as a top-order batsman or would you have still liked to be a middle-order batsman who bowled? I think I would have uh, done far better in the middle order because mm. uh, my case was uh, trying to do a crash course of what you learn over a period of, uh, let's say, 10-15 years by way of experience. I was trying to do a crash course because I became a batsman overnight in international cricket. Great. Mentally, yeah. I was not like that. Attitudinally, I was not a batsman. I never started my career as a batsman when... I was at the junior level so that, you know, you have that certain skills and qualities in you and you're programmed that way, which meant that I had to sort of learn everything uh, all at once in a shorter span of time. And every net session of mine was like um, trying to do a three-year degree course in one day. Mm. Yeah, which brings me to my next question to you. Does that help you in your career as a coach? The fact that you had to learn to, you have to adapt and learn. And what are your views on women's cricket? Because I'm really bullish about women's cricket. I've seen more and more girls to play cricket. I think we should open up, get more women to play. And that's why I'm a great supporter of a women's IPL. My, my theory has always been, you start, because somewhere you've got to start. You can't wait for the talent to come. Start with six overseas players for two years. Go to five overseas players for two years. And then see if you've got the base developed. But... I want to ask you what your thoughts on the women's game are and therefore how is how did your playing career help does it help you in, in your in your coaching it does help me a lot because i can um, see the various gamut of emotions that a player goes through and the struggles mm. they go through and i can probably detect the pitfalls they are likely to encounter because i've seen over a period of time a lot of cricketers going through different uh, stages of their careers handling the way they handled their careers. And I've had my own issues during my playing days. So this is a case of uh, you having developed a kind of a library in a way from which mm. you draw when you try and help these cricketers you know, who are uh, under your charge. And coming to women's cricket, um, I'm sure another four or five years, um, India will be a major force because what they have done in the last two, three years uh, gives us a lot of encouragement. It also gives a lot of self-belief to the other girls who are possibly thinking of taking up cricket. If and when the IPL happens for these girls, I'm sure that will also skyrocket. But the trick is in ensuring that it becomes a major brand the day it comes into inception, like how the IPL happened. Because sure. what happens, you know how people react, you know how things are. 
uh, once you start the IPL, it does not, it gets off to a tepid start. Then people start getting doubts. There'll be mixed views. Yeah. There'll be a lot of room for confusion. So that's the reason I maintain when it is started, even if it started a bit late or maybe, you know, two, three years down the line, it has to be done in such a manner. It has to be started at a time when it really takes off and never looks back. Yeah, my my view is I don't like velocities and supernovas and Armageddon and uh, these galaxy names. The reason I want eight teams in the women's IPL, even if it means more overseas players, is a girl playing for, say, Smriti Mandana is playing for RCB. Smriti Mandana will become a star because the entire RCB machinery will promote her. You will get a ready-made fan base. right? Suppose there's a young girl, say, Shafali Varma has made it now, but suppose there's a young girl about to break in, is playing for Mumbai Indians. Straight away, you may not get the same audience, but the Mumbai Indians fan base will start accepting you. And... You know, tomorrow you can have better coaching systems and the fan base will get established. That's why I want all eight teams. But I have only one more question for you uh, before I, I finish, because I know it's our roles are slightly reversed today. Uh, I think the Aussie coach said something very interesting about coaching girls as opposed to coaching, say, New South Wales, where he was a coach. He said, when you're sitting there and you're talking to the team, he said, with guys, they always think, yeah, he's probably telling the other guy. He's probably telling that guy. When you say that, we need to do better, we need to be quicker between the wickets or we need to show more intent. So the guys are thinking, yeah, he's probably telling that guy. So the girls take it more personally. They think it's about me. And so the communication is very different when it's targeted at a women's team than it is at a guy's team. I don't know if you felt that. I just found that an interesting uh, insight. So I thought I would check with you. It definitely is different because uh, it is also related to the uh, relative experience of the guys and the girls. Now, for example, a guy starts playing representative cricket from the age of 14 if he's picked for under 16. So by yeah. the time he's come to 20 years of age, he's got six years of solid experience of playing competitive cricket, going through the grind and uh, being subjected to the rough and tumble of uh, people treating him badly, perhaps in some places. Whereas the girls used to be a case, at least in India, where they played under 19. Uh, if they did well, they were catapulted to the senior level and uh, within a short span of time, a couple of good games at the senior level, they will be made to play international cricket. So that mm -hmm. kind of experience they lack does not, you know, sort of make it easy. You take it for granted that they're supposed to know certain things at a certain level, especially oh, if you're handling the Indian women's team. You think, oh, they're supposed to know this. No, they're not supposed to know that. For the simple reason, they have not garnered as much experience as guys do by the time they get to either a India A level or the senior Indian team. Okay, fair call, fair call. It's something I, I didn't, I didn't realize. So see, finally, however hard you try to ask me questions, in my DNA is to ask questions. So I finally came back to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's a fair deal, Arshad. Not to worry. Yeah. Anyway, thanks a lot. For Anytime. spending your time during a series when you're really busy and hope to catch up with you in person soon. Sure. sure. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Cheers, Asha. Cheers. Bye. There it was. The voice of cricket sharing his views and also getting back to his uh, job that he does so well and he's been doing so many years of asking me questions. I hope he enjoyed the chat, uh, but I'm sure that... Uh, there's a lot more that can be discussed when uh, the person happens to be Asha Bogle with you. But that's all it is. It's a case of um, the constraint of time. I hope uh, you will be with me the next time as well. Until then, stay safe and uh, stay healthy.